I grew up in poverty in Ben Hill, but when I started doing work in Lakewood in Atlanta, totally different neighborhood. And I literally really had to just listen and talk to people. Cause I mean, I think Lakewood is maybe 15 minutes, 20 minutes max from Ben Hill, but completely different neighborhood. And I couldn't take my context from Ben Hill and take it into Lakewood. Welcome back to another edition of Be The Change Georgia, brought to you by Be Local Georgia. I'm Nathan Stuck, and I'm passionate about amplifying the voices of the amazing leaders surrounding the B Corp community in the Southeast who are showing how making a profit and making a difference aren't mutually exclusive ideas. Today, there are more than 4,000 B Corps across 75 countries and 150 industries, unified by one common goal, transforming the global economy to benefit all people communities, and the planet. If you want to learn how to plug into our purpose-driven business community alongside the inspiring leaders we feature on this show, check us out at belocalgeorgia.com, and we'll hope to meet you at our next event. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Be The Change Georgia. Today, we're sitting down with Lavanya Jones, the director of the Georgia Social Impact Collaborative. Lavanya also teaches an entrepreneurship course at Morehouse College, and we'll be discussing what motivates her, where she finds her inspiration, and what the social impact investing ecosystem looks like in Atlanta and what it needs to succeed. Without any further ado, let's jump right into this conversation with Lavanya. Lavanya, welcome to Be The Change Georgia. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. I'm excited to be on here. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, no, we're excited to, uh, I mean, for most of our listeners in the B Corp space and the social impact space, they know about the the relationship we've had with GSIC for a long time. And it's excited. Yes. It's exciting to have you on board as a new executive director and bring you on here to share some of your vision, some of your story. And uh, yeah, look forward to all, a bunch of future collaborations with you. Absolutely. We're going to be working together a lot. <laughs> So, Lavanya, can you tell our listeners about your world, how your worldviews were shaped while growing up in Atlanta and the lasting influence of Martin Luther King on your overarching purpose today? Yes. So, growing up in Atlanta pre-1996 Olympics, I'm kind of telling my age. <laughs> but yes, originally from the Atlanta, in the city, um, Southwest Atlanta to be exact, Ben Hill neighborhood to be exact, zone four. Just want to be clear. So it was just very, my upbringing was very, very Afrocentric one. So, you know, my identity, who I was, my community was at the center of everything. And my godmother was a special needs educator. She worked in Atlanta public schools and Fulton County public schools. And she always had me involved in community work, whether it was a community cleanup, planting trees. I was also a Girl Scouts. We were always doing things in nature, serving people, serving the homeless. That was a part of my upbringing. So it was almost ingrained in me, like you are the generation to continue Dr. Martin Luther King's legacy, especially because the year I was born, again, telling my age, was when Dr. King's holiday became a day. So I grew up around civil rights leaders, seeing Andrew Young, I believe at the time when I was born, Maynard was mayor, uh, Maynard Jackson. And it was, I grew up in the AUC. I was literally the Atlanta University Center. I always have to remember and not assume people know what AUC means. But I was in the math and science program at Clark Atlanta University in kindergarten. So I literally grew up in the Atlanta University Center. 
So you can't help but take on the legacy of all the great social justice and civil rights leaders that went through that. And then also, I come from a family uh, where those of us who did go to college attended historically Black colleges and universities, HBCUs. So again, that culture was just absolutely ingrained in me and understanding that you can do good, you can fight for justice for all people, and that we only win when we all work together um, and we do it together. It can't be a one-sided fight. Uh, it has to be a fight where all contribute, but also understanding that it's not about going into people's communities and telling them what they need with like this savior complex, but really listening. And I really learned that from my godmother, uh, just how she she was responsible for preparing special needs students for life after high school. So helping them get jobs, reviewing their resumes, things of that nature, and just seeing how she didn't make assumptions about people. She listened and she met people where they were. Um, and just the progress and things she was able to do with her students just so they could live independent lives. And it just really impacts everything I do. And then my mom, she is from Augusta, Georgia, country and very old school. So that having consideration for other people was huge. <laughs> She ingrained, I feel like I got preached that every single day. Like you have to be considerate of the people. <laughs> so, so all of that really has just fueled everything I've done in my career. I've always kind of known I wanted to be an entrepreneur and go into business uh, just because I have an older sister who I saw just to be very candid as a black woman go through corporate America in the eighties. And I said to myself at a young age, I want no parts of that. <laughs> so but I understood later in life that even though, like, I, I grew up in poverty, I didn't come from privilege. You know, my, my privilege was literally my godmother exposing me to things and my sister being in college. That was about all the privilege I had. So just wanting, seeing kids I grew up with grow up in poverty, you know, I had a lot of kids I grew up with that were being abused. And trying to figure out like how can I just make the lives of those in my community better that's awesome and I love the one that your godmother taught you by listening not telling meeting people where they are I think that's one thing that we do a we do a, and, and you know we're both in kind of the social impact space and uh well not kind of we definitely are um right. <laughs> we're not kind of in that space that's what we do for a living and uh you know I think that and I'm I know I've been guilty of it of you kind of you've worked a solution in one spot and you go into another place and you're like the same solution will work just trust me and it's like no you still need to do that like discovery process of like they know their neighborhood they know their extenuating circumstances better than you do because you don't live there Right. So, yeah. I mean, like for me, I think the biggest wake up call for me, I grew up in poverty in Ben Hill. But when I started doing work in Lakewood in Atlanta, totally different neighborhood. And I literally really had to just listen and talk to people because, I mean, I think Lakewood is maybe 15 minutes, 20 minutes max from Ben Hill, but completely different neighborhood. And I couldn't take my context from Ben Hill and take it into Lakewood. Yeah. No, and I, I mean, you were up in Athens for an event yesterday, and the same thing here, where sometimes there's, there's a whole similar problems, just still very unique. And also, just even how we have those biases and stereotypes. I was very surprised coming to Athens. It was not what I thought it was. I was like, oh, I can have me a house in Athens. This is not. 
You know, it's, it's, funny, it's, it's funny how you never, you assume that everybody's going to, has the same perception of what you perceive, you know, like, right. of like, which it would have never dawned on me to think of like, I wonder what Lavanya's going to think of Athens. I was just like, right. I can't believe you've never just road tripped to Athens for no reason. No. Yeah. And that's the thing growing up in the city and understanding that most of America is still very rural. I try to have an open mind, you know, when I go places, cause I'm, I've learned that our context growing up and being born in a metropolitan city is so limited <laughs> compared to the rest of the world. So, but it was, it was a pleasant surprise coming to Athens. I enjoyed it. I will say as someone who grew up in Miami coming to even Athens, like a city was a, uh, was, was a shocker for me. It was a completely sure. different, a lot of yeah. things where you're like, you just assume the whole world is like Miami or Atlanta. Like you just assume that's where mm-hmm. you're going to go and it's going to be just like that. And the people are going to act the same and you get there and it's like, one of those valuable that they never stop being valuable um, travel experiencing new things never stops being valuable to kind of get out of your comfort zone. Indeed. Indeed. So unpacking all of that, I'm curious to know what or who uh, encouraged you to pursue your postgraduate education in organizational leadership. Wow. So um, it's kind of a multi-layered <laughs> answer so i'll start with to be quite honest it was my pastor in college he didn't necessarily like say you should be in organizational leadership he encouraged me to look at a particular school for graduate school and when i looked at the program offerings and at the time i was working in the entertainment industry working with entrepreneurs and when i saw the description of organizational leadership i had never heard of it and i was literally like oh i do this already so this would be an easy degree it was not an easy degree let me just be clear <laughs> at all <laughs> not easy <laughs> but that was my motivation <laughs> initially i i was just like i love and even going through i was an entrepreneurship major in undergrad going through that the classes i enjoyed the most were the classes where we dealt with the people part of organizations and the human part of organizations and the systems part of organizations. And so having those, just paying attention to like what classes I enjoyed in undergrad, you know, at least thinking about my pastor's (laughs) advice at the time. And also I had a lot of people around me um, because Hampton Rose is literally a military university town. So I had a lot of people around me that were getting like their doctorate degrees and things of that nature. Um, And I just felt like it was the best fit for me, that it was a, it was something that came natural um, as far as understanding the people side of organizations and and how humans work together and how those systems and networks connect. And it is, I mean, as somebody who like works in corporate culture and those types of things, it is interesting how some of these things are so, obvious to people like us who have worked in this field versus sometimes, I mean, I remember sitting in an organizational behavior class and being like, well, this is all common sense. And everybody yes, else is like frantically scribbling class. notes. I loved that class. I loved org behavior. <laughs> well, it's just like simple things like, you know, motivated employees perform better. And you're like, duh. But, you know, right. and then you start peeling that back. Like, okay, so as far as like starting to figure out how do we make this organization run better? And you're like, okay, well, if these are what, if these are my high performers and then you re- can reverse engineer the processes and exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we can nerd out, me, on this. When nerd I started, out on this for hours. Right. Yeah. When I started grad school though, it was a shocker because as I'm learning this information, I'm just like, Oh my goodness, 
how many managers don't have this information because they're not getting a degree in organizational leadership. And a lot of organizations don't do, when you look at the context of business, a lot of organizations don't necessarily do leadership development because they don't have the bandwidth to. And I was like, wow, okay, so this is why we have some of the cultural and organizational challenges we have because your people make up your organization. And if they're not working well, your organization is not going to work well. And I see it a lot with um, younger companies where it's, it's, you know, some of those older ones with the established kind of training programs, it's like they've got it down. But a lot of times in the entrepreneurship space, they start to grow and it's whoever's been there the longest is now a manager and might be their first time ever managing. And then, yeah, so um, it's a very interesting, I mean, you hit the nail on the head that, yeah, a lot of companies just kind of miss that part of promoting people. And, to- and toggling back over to kind of the theme, uh, or at least the topic of entrepreneurship, what do you wish everyone understood about the power of entrepreneurship and serving as a solution to economic injustice and inequality? So this is where I get very academic and that at the end of the day, <laughs> that's what the data says. <laughs> the data says that entrepreneurship is one of the greatest tools to lift someone up out of poverty. And especially now in this globally connected world, um, although I do understand we do have a lot of people that still are not connected to the internet, but a lot of people are. And a lot of people have more access than they ever could before. The barriers to entry for entrepreneurship are much lower than they were 30, 40 years ago. And so you could literally, I, I saw a story one time online of, this brother and sister that were members of the Maasai tribe in Kenya. And they were like cow herders, but they had became very popular on TikTok, (laughs) doing TikTok dances. And they were getting paid all this money, much more than they were making as cow herders uh, to do TikTok videos because this brother and sister duo from the Maasai tribe. So, you know, just real niche, very cool. And what are the odds of that, right? <laughs> that someone in Kenya, in their tribal community, can that probably doesn't have a lot of a whole lot of internet infrastructure? And he kind of talked about some of their challenges, like even with cell phone service to do the videos, like they have to pick a certain time of day to do them and things like that. But the barriers are just so low to entry. I think of kids from my neighborhood who they may not be able to buy a laptop, but they have a cell phone. And now you can, they have no cold tools where you can make an app. And these kids, I mean, they are just so tech savvy. I've learned how to do things on my phone from toddlers. Because <laughs> they're just so tech native, right? So it's just the barriers to entry are so low and it no longer takes a whole, whole lot of money um, to start a business and begin to make a profit. If, again, you're listening to your target audience and you're serving their needs and providing value. 100%. And one of the things, you know, you talked about whatever we want to call it, digital nativism or whatever, like where suddenly you're like, when did I become the uh, the old person in the room that doesn't know how this works? Right, um, right. But you think about with, with this technology and social media is a lot of these, you know, kids, whatever, young adults have grown up branding themselves. And it's such a, it's a trait that I think we overlook as it goes into entrepreneur. That's what entrepreneurism is, is or entrepreneurship. It's building a brand and they've, they've had to brand themselves since they were like 12. Yeah. 
sometimes younger, you know, you got that kid on YouTube that makes what, like $25 million from doing toy reviews. Sometimes you're like, what am I doing with my life? You know? <laughs> I have, trust me, I have the friend who does YouTube videos about like Marvel movies and he told me what he makes a month and I'm like, keep scraping my two nickels together over here. Right. <laughs> right. But yeah, I, I, and I've seen it, you know, I've seen people who saw a need in their community and literally came from nothing and just were able to completely not only turn their lives around, but the lives of their whole family. I mean, if you think about, if you can get someone to create a, a business where they're not only creating a job for themselves, but then they're hiring other people, that's impacting families. That's providing resources and tools for families in multiple communities, right? And then also we know that Globally, small businesses are the ones that employ most of the people, not necessarily these large corporations. And, you know, I just went all in because the reality is, especially when I was coming up in school, and unfortunately, I graduated in the 08 recession. <laughs> so there wasn't a whole lot of go get a degree, go get a good job with good benefits. There wasn't a lot of that going around. And I even read a report by the Lucian movement that stated as the global population grows for the amount of people that will need jobs, we still need 2 billion more entrepreneurs than the entrepreneurs we already have. So we have a long ways to go and a lot of work to do. Because I actually did the numbers. I'm such a numbers person in academic. I think we have like 251 or 351 million businesses globally. And we still need 2 billion more to provide jobs for the amount of people that we need. them. So we have a long way to go. <laughs> doesn't, mean way we, to go. doesn't mean we can't get started. Exactly. Work needs to be done, which brings me to work. As we kind of teased at the beginning of this, you know, you recently stepped into the executive director role at GSIC. For those not familiar, I'll spell out what GSIC stands for, but it's the Georgia Social Impact Collaborative. And, you know, we just kind of talked about your your passion for entrepreneurship and the need for more entrepreneurship and then where GSIC fits into that. So I'd love to just kind of go down that road a little bit of, I guess you could probably describe it better than I can. Um, what exactly does GSIC do? And then what ultimately attracted you to accept the calling as their new director? So, yes, GSIC, we call ourselves a convener. We are a convener. And our goal is to really strengthen and develop a more connected impact investing and social impact ecosystem in Georgia. In layman's terms, what that means is those that are doing the work in the community to make sure that our communities in Georgia are thriving, making sure they have the resources and tools they need to be successful, but then also making sure that those who are funding the work in our communities to make sure that they're thriving, that they are connected to those social entrepreneurs and community leaders, and that they have the tools they need to properly deploy capital, um, and that we're doing it in the areas that are most needed. And so to be honest with you, the initial thing that attracted me to this position was that my friend from Emory University, Brian Goble, posted it on LinkedIn. <laughs> I was like, oh, my friend, post this job. This is great. Let me look at it. So I was not looking for the job. But then when I read it, I'm like, oh, this is like what I like to do and kind of 
what I've been doing as a side hustle in my career, I could get to focus on it. And to be honest with you, you know, you kind of have that imposter syndrome and a little intimidated by the role because it's director. <laughs> so I was like, hey, does it hurt to shoot my shot, put my hat in the ring? That's what I did. And now I'm here and I have, I really take this as an honor. I mean, to go back to my upbringing, just being ingrained with the philosophies of Dr. Martin Luther King, teaching entrepreneurship at Dr. Martin Luther King's alma mater, Morehouse College, to now getting to serve my home state in this capacity to do what pushed me into this work, make sure the communities in my home state are thriving and that they have everything they need to be sustainable. Um, and that we're not exploiting people and we're serving people and providing value and doing it well. It's still surreal. And I don't think it's still like <laughs> set in for me that I have this responsibility to do this work. So I'm just so excited about it. Yeah, well, I'm excited. I mean, it's funny. So the day before they even announced it, and I was kind of like, oh, who's going to replace Sydney? And I, you know, as, as we've, like a moth to flame. One of the first meetings I had after I started Be Local Georgia was with GSIC. And we go to one of Joey Womack's events and we go to our little huddle. And then who's sitting to the right of me? I teach entrepreneurship at Morehouse. I'm the new executive director of GSIC. And I'm like, and I'm Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, so you're thinking that and I'm thinking, okay, Georgia Social Impact Collaborative. I'm from Atlanta. I really got to be intentional about getting out in the state and meeting people and who is sitting next to me? <laughs> Be local, Georgia. Yes. No, it's, uh, again, it's the word I keep using, serendipitous. Um, or maybe it's just, what do they say? Good luck is when hard work and preparation meets opportunity or something like that. But, right. <laughs> but yeah, and I remember your call that your requests or call for, for your ask of the group was connections into the social impact space. Anybody. So, all right, well, all right, you got one right here. So, no, it's, right. it's, it's been great. I'm excited for all you're going to do. And I'm excited for the work of what GSIC does because I think it's important. It's, as I would describe it, my, I guess if you had to say, what's your two word description? Silo crusher. Like bringing all these yes. different people. I love that. I'm going to get a together. shirt that says Silo Crusher. Ooh, we need I those. <laughs> oh, awesome. if only, uh, if only the producer of my podcast. Uh, knew somebody with a t-shirt printing business. Uh, I know. I'm just saying, let's put that plug out there. Um, so ooh, we're getting those. I'm writing that down. Um, all right, Nathan, stay on task. We are recording a podcast. Um, <laughs> oh, look, it's a perfect segue. What have you learned thus far as we retrace our, our origin story of knowing each other? What have you learned this far about Georgia's social impact investing ecosystem? And what would you say... And again, month or so in, what are, what are the most pressing needs? Wow. So, I mean, as we stated, we're still so, we've come a long way. Um, I remember coming back to Atlanta in 2008, talking about social impact and social entrepreneurship and people looking at me like I had two heads. I'm like, isn't that just nonprofits? No. <laughs> so um, we're still very siloed. We still have work to do in the narrative of impact, that we have a common narrative of impact investing and social impact. I think that being intentional, again, 
about serving those in the state, everything tends to convene in Atlanta. And even though I'm from Atlanta, I because my mom is from Augusta, Georgia. I have family from the coast of Georgia. And I know those neighborhoods are very often neglected. I live down near going towards Fort Valley in Griffin, Georgia. <laughs> and just seeing the needs. I have a lot of farmers around me and there's not much down here to support them and to make sure that they're successful and they grow and they're able to feed Georgians. Just those basic things. So we, but I mean, we've come a long way in that there are people now that understand they need to deploy capital to make sure the state that they live in is doing well. There are people that understand as my one of my heroes, Nathaniel Smith of Partnership for Southern Equity Pluck, says that you can do good and do well, that you can have a business that impacts your community. And I, I have literally been preaching since I was an undergrad that with my generation and the generations after me, you cannot be in business and not serve well the community you do business in. Because this this generation cares about the social impact that companies are making, and they will make it their business to make sure you're not in business very long. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I love the fact that GSIC has really amplified that conversation and that people are at least starting to think about what this should look like, how this should work. We're seeing it show up in people's political campaigns, which, to be quite honest, I don't really think we've seen since the civil rights movement, where people were really talking about the social impact of these institutions on communities, especially the most vulnerable and those on the marginalized. And so I think the needs are that we really need to figure out for Georgia what our greatest needs are and what, as a state, we do well and really hone in and zero in and laser in on that and making sure that those, again, who are doing the work and funding the work in those areas have all the resources and the support they need. And then also leveraging the fact that we are an international city in Atlanta and resulting in an international state where we have so many different communities here that can bring such rich value to the state. And so making sure that we are connecting those communities and bringing them together for the greater good of Georgia. Yeah, no, I love that do good and do well quote too. If I think it's on us. It's probably what has, has attracted me so much to GSIC too, is, is that we're all in this together, you know, and I mean, I'm big in the corp space of that, the importance of making sure that companies that are doing good continue to do well and, and build that case study and build what Lavanya clearly loves data to build those data points to inspire others to, to, to realize that this is actually good for business. This is what, like you said about kind of Gen Z millennials, I always joke Gen Z just showed up and was like, burn it all down. We're done. Uh, we're rebuilding <laughs> yeah, it the way we want it. And we're... <laughs> so, like, it all. <laughs> but I, I love, I love that quote. Um, do good and do well. Um, yes. And before we wrap up, I, I want to ask one more question, kind of looking at the whole landscape of, you know, obviously I'm the certified B Corp guy. We have public benefit corporation legislation now in Georgia. Yes, thank um, you. As you look at the greater ecosystem, social impact, social entrepreneurship, 
What gives you the most hope for our future? And what's the biggest thing on which you would encourage everyone to focus as we continue to build this movement? I'll start with the last part of that question. I encourage everyone to be collaborative. <laughs> Back to our Silo Crusher t-shirts. <laughs> right, exactly. Be collaborative. There are just so many conflicts. And that's one of the things I try to do just even in my work is bring people together. Like when I talk to people, like, oh, you should know such and such because they're doing something similar and y'all should probably work together. <laughs> there are complimentary things going on there. So be collaborative. It doesn't, everybody doesn't have to be the chief. Everybody doesn't have to be in front. Everybody doesn't have to be in charge. At the end of the day, the most important thing is getting the work done, making sure people are served well, and that value is being provided. And whoever does that and however it gets done, that's okay. And so I encourage us to be more collaborative, more cooperative, using those cooperative economic top models, um, especially in our more rural communities pulling resources together to get work done and have greater impact. I also, what gives me hope, again, is that we're just having this conversation in Georgia. <laughs> that people are talking about it, that people are thinking about ways that they can do the work. I love the amount of people that are tackling food insecurity and housing. Um, the people that are now saying, Atlanta's called the Black Mecca but we have one of the largest racial wealth gaps in the city. <laughs> what do we need to do to close that? Uh, the fact that we are understanding the skills gap we have in this state, um, that a lot of the skills we have in the state doesn't necessarily match the industries that are in the state. Um, and so that people are being proactive in retraining and reskilling people uh, to match the needs of the economy in Georgia. And I, I just love the energy. I mean, even being at the, with all the things <laughs> going on in our country right now, just being at the event in Athens and it was inspirational. And I just felt like we as a community just came together and just kind of loved on each other for a little bit. <laughs> Say, hey, we're in this together and this is what I'm doing and hey, you know, I can support you here. And just to connect, especially being a new director and just everyone has just been so welcoming and so excited. Every person I talk to, I get more and more excited about this role. So I'm just excited about us having the conversation and people being intentional about doing the work. But I would encourage us to be much more collaborative than we're being right now so that we can have that common narrative and common story. Yeah, almost say uh, put the ego aside. It's kind of I think what you were touching on too is some of the like you might not be the chief on this one, and that's that has to be okay. But I think about that too of like the those those little ripples that you can leave of those connections of like maybe hey you know you have those meetings with people you're like I don't really know why I'm meeting this person, but they say something you're like you need to meet my friend, whatever you know, and you can make that connection, and then a year later you're on LinkedIn and you realize they've collaborated, built a business, done something, built some foundation, and you're like oh cool yeah. When I think about the people in my life, the authors I read who've impacted me the most, and I looked at the people who impacted them, typically the people who impacted me the most that I look at as like world changers, the people who impacted them were very seemingly unknown people. You don't know their names. They didn't you know, make huge history, but they focused on this one life and poured what they could into that person. And that person became a world changer and made this ripple effect. It's kind of that, that, compounding interest, but in people. 
And if we can just keep doing, I mean, that's what Dr. Martin Luther King did. If you think about all the people that just marshaled him, or even actually, to be quite honest, the professor that brought me to Morehouse, she's from Birmingham. She was a part of the community where the church was bombed with the four little girls. And she was there when Dr. Martin Luther King came to her community after that bombing. And that inspired her to go to Spelman. And then she became a professor at Morehouse. And then she saw little old me when I started my doctorate and was like, girl, we got our doctorate in the same field. Let me help you out. <laughs> and brought me over to Morehouse. And then now I get to do this for the state. So just that ripple effect. She was just a little girl in Birmingham who Martin Luther King cared enough to come about to her community when they were impacted by a bomb. And that just rippled into how she lived her life. And she spent 26 years at Morehouse training students in business. Some of the greatest leaders we have in business right now, they have come out of Morehouse. So it's just, we can, we can do that. Each one of us can have that type of impact if we just focus on our strength and where we can provide the most value and just really drive in and hone in on that, but do it in a way that's collaborative. That's awesome. Ah, I want to keep going, but we're out of time. Um, <laughs> and I don't have anything like wiser than that to wrap it up with. That was, that was, that was brilliant. And I love it. I mean, it's just, it is, it's collaboration. It's why I love this community of, I don't even want to say world changers. We're community changers. We're, we're one life at a time changers, but just that collaborative nature of the work we're all doing um, and welcoming you into at least not like you're new to this work, but welcoming you into, I'm just glad to have you now in my Thank network you. in my, my friend circle of, yeah. of people that I can collaborate with. So, um, really can't thank you enough for coming on. Can't tell you thank how excited you. I am to work with you. Um, yeah, I feel like you. we're, we're a dangerous force because the energy here, yeah. like, I'm just like, let's go. I want to go Listen. plan something right now. Let's get a whiteboard <laughs> <All right>. out. <laughs> exactly. So, um lastly before we uh before we depart i wanted to ask you how uh if our listeners were interested in, in following you on the social media or uh on the interwebs or whatever the kids are doing these days uh, i'm sure you have a great tiktok um no so... i'm not on tiktok <laughs> i don't know how it works either don't worry yeah um, right. i'm too old i don't know i don't know anything about that i just embarrassed myself <laughs> but if our listeners wanted to follow you where could they find you and where can they find more about g6 Absolutely. So you can go to our website and look at our ecosystem map, add yourself to the ecosystem map at gasocialimpact.org. I'm still getting that link. <laughs> gasocialimpact.org, georgiasocialcollaborative.org. Uh, we have our ecosystem map, add yourself. You can find me on Twitter at Coach Lavanya. And I'm also on Instagram at Coach Lavanya Jones. I talk about a lot of different things. You're going to get all my personality. <laughs> um, I'm not one of those people that just kind of vomit all over social media, but I am very open. So Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn are the best places to follow me. Um, I'll, I'll be honest on LinkedIn. I'm very intentional about who I connect with on LinkedIn, but I do have a follow button if you want to follow me. <laughs> And then we connect and we can, can talk and build that relationship. But definitely Twitter and Instagram. I'm there all the time. Love it. One of these <laughs> days I'll get a Twitter. Um, <laughs> that's so, how the magic happens. Let me tell you. It's great. People, you're like the third person in like two weeks that's told me that. So you maybe have to I'll get on yes. Yeah. And so, and G-Sick is also on Twitter. Uh, we will be on Instagram, but we're on Twitter. 
I know you're on LinkedIn because I'm a follower. And LinkedIn, yes, we're on LinkedIn as well. <laughs> awesome. Well, Lavanya, can't thank you enough um, for coming on today and sharing some inspiring words and I would say some advice and some wisdom with our listeners. And uh, we look forward to working with you. Well, thank you for having me. This has been awesome. And I'm so excited to get our hands dirty and get to work. Well, that wraps up another edition of Be The Change Georgia. We're grateful as always for the opportunity to serve you with this content and grow this incredible community of purpose-driven B Corp leaders. If you haven't already, we would be grateful for you to rate the show wherever you get your podcast by simply tapping the number of stars you think it deserves and sharing it with a friend. This helps us get the word out and continue to use our collective influence as a force for good. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the help from our production team at Chat with Leaders Media. Learn how you can launch your own podcast to grow your business at chatwithleaders.com. Thanks again for listening, and now go be a leader worth following. Mm-hmm.